Open Forum coming to you live on 106.1 FM every Saturday 4 to 6 p.m. Jagat Dinkar and Subodh welcome you on the best talk show in Houston, Texas. When you talk, everyone listens. This is Open Forum. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Open Forum every Saturday at 4 p.m. on 103.5 FM. You can listen to us, which is much easier, actually, humfmradio.com. Once you get that on the phone, you can listen to us even from Timbuktu if you ever go there. 103.5 FM in Houston and humfmradio.com anywhere in the world. Welcome to Open Forum. My co-host today is one and only Ramesh Anand. Ramesh, welcome back, man. Thank Good you. seeing you. Good seeing you. Yeah, you yeah. you kind of skipped the last couple last of time. shows. Yeah, Every time I'm here, you don't come. I yes. don't know. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're here with me today. Smriti is out of town and so is Jagat. I think they need a break. You know, they've been working hard, so they tell me at least. <laughs> and we are indeed uh, very fortunate today to have a medical physician here, a medical doctor, Dr. Jasmine Khan, who's a cardiologist, and we're going to talk about her. We're going to talk about your heart, basically. You know, one of the most important organ. I would say the most important organ in your body is the heart. Of course, the brain will say, hey, I'm mira kya hoega, kalea. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, hoga tera bhi, lekin heart is very, very important, and we're going to talk about your heart today. The conditions that may lead to heart disease. Um, and and modalities, how you can prevent heart disease. So welcome to Open Forum, uh, Dr. Khan. How are you doing today? Thank you, Subodh. I'm doing very good. Fantastic. So is it okay if we call you Jasmine? Yes. Because you call me Subodh, so yes, let's call absolutely. you Jasmine. Yeah, you there you call go. Me I'm just Jasmine, kidding. Yes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dr. Khan um, is a cardiologist. She practices in the Woodlands area, but which, by the way, I'm going to be going to Woodlands after this to do an auction for the Woodlands uh, Hindu Temple. And it's it's going to be a great show. I've, I've kind of previewed their stuff. We're going to sell things for a lot of money and give it to the temple, which they do a lot of educational health care and all that stuff. So I'll be in your part of, you know, where you live out there. So you have a practice in Woodlands and you have a practice in Sugarland. In fact, Ramesh, she just saw some patients and came from Sugarland. So she practices in Sugarland on some one Saturday a month is what I found out from her, which is amazing because... We do need physicians. I know I used to do that when I was much younger. I'm still young, but much younger is the emphasis. But now I don't do that anymore. I mean, I'm available on Saturday, but not in the clinic. So very good that you can do that. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Khan. You were born where? I was born in India. Which part? Okay. So I'm from Kerala, Kerala, which is a southern state of so India. So do you know Malayali? Malayalam? Yes, Malayalam oh, wow. is my first language. 
That's amazing. That's awesome. Okay, and yes. then so to all the Malayali listeners, yeah, uh, and namaskaram. Oh, yanda namaskaram. Okay. I grew up in Kerala. Yeah. And I went to medical school in Tamil Nadu, so I can speak nice. a little bit of Tamil, Tamil too. too. So yeah. wanna come to all the Tamil Manakam listeners? Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, a few of my Punjabiyon ka kya hoga? ഫിഫ്റ്റിൻ്റെ <laughs> <laughs> I went to med school in Chennai yeah. uh, Ramachandra Medical College and nice. after that I wanted to pursue my career in the US right. So I came to US the first place was Pennsylvania in Philadelphia that's where I did my residency in right. internal medicine and after that I actually worked in internal medicine for 3 years uh but my passion was cardiology so i wanted to become a cardiologist and uh fortunately i got my fellowship at ut health science center nice. in houston very good and uh i also found my husband here so in houston in houston okay, so i had nice. two reasons to move down to houston i thought he's a movie actor is your husband <laughs> the guy was like oh my lord that's yes. awesome he's a handsome young man yes, very good i'm very lucky to have uh, to have him in my life so There were many reasons to move to Houston and uh, I've been practicing cardiology since 2015. Um my main practice is in the Woodlands. The practice name is the Woodlands Heart and Vascular Center and this year I was able to open another clinic in Sugarland. So Fantastic. that is Sugarland Heart and Vascular Center and Where is that located though? It's at 132 Eldridge Road. Eldridge Road. Okay, okay. Yes, and I uh have clinic there once a week and one Saturday per month. Fantastic. So I was there this morning. So why was your passion cardiology? Were there any cardiologists in your family or was there some event that may have happened in your family like your grandpa or anyone that said, "Hey, I want to be a cardiologist because I can save people, I can help people." So when I look back um as a little kid, you know, I was very close to my maternal grandmother and she suffered from a cardiac problem okay. called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And um as I grew up through school years i've always heard my mom talk about cardiomyopathy mm-hmm. and how some other family members have cardiomyopathy yeah. so i think that was kind of ingrained in me so as i finished my school i wanted to become a doctor and then through my years in medical school i always liked cardiology i felt like i had the skill to be a good cardiologist a passion to pursue cardiology and you know i'm lucky and fortunate that i was able to uh achieved that yeah that's amazing and congratulations that's that's lovely so you've been in Thank practice you. for how many years now uh i've been practicing cardiology since 2015 fantastic fantastic ramesh bhai uh, we have we have fantastic cardiologists out here what what made you move i mean start a practice in sugarland <laughs> so there is uh, actually a huge demand for cardiology right. in the greater houston area and uh, i chose the woodlands initially because i really fell in love with the woodlands area so that was my focus and as i was practicing through the last few years i realized that there were patients who were coming from far off places like sugarland kady uh even kima so there were people who were coming all the way to the woodlands to see me because they wanted to see a female cardiologist the, so that was one of the factors that right. um opened my mind and i was uh, really impressed that patients were willing to drive so far to see me 
And when I had patients come from Sugarland for mild cardiovascular problems, mm-hmm. I tried to suggest that they could see some cardiologists in the Sugarland area because there's so many of them. Right. But, and good ones too. Yeah. And good yeah, ones yeah. too. But um, average wait time to see a cardiologist is about two months. And so I thought if I can open a satellite clinic in Sugarland and uh, help minimize that waiting time, for patients who need to be seen sooner, that would be a great yeah. way to help the community. Average wait time to see a cardiologist in Sugarland is two months. Exercise karte raho, boss. Cardiologist se dur raho. No, aise dur nahi raho. I'm saying ki, you know, do mahina lag jata hai. Right. Let's talk about cardiology, about, you know, the heart. As I mentioned in the beginning, you know, it's a single organ. And if you don't have it, it's done. You, you can't, you know. Um, What is the function of the heart? I mean, why is it so important to keep your heart very healthy? I, I mean, you know, kids are born and then they get older and older and heart disease gets more and more prevalent. Why is it, uh, what's the function of the heart and why is it important to then keep that function preserved? Yes, heart is a vital organ and it is vital because it is the pump in your body. So heart pumps blood to all the other organs, including the brain, the kidneys, the liver, all the other organs. So if your body needs to function in a normal fashion, you need to have a healthy heart. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. And in order to prevent heart disease or treat heart disease, it is important that people are aware of the risk factors. They know how to lead a healthy lifestyle so they can be more aware and mindful of what they need to do in day-to-day life and also to see a doctor in a timely fashion so they can prevent cardiovascular problems. Heart disease is the most common cause of death. One in four deaths in this country is due to heart disease. Right. And uh, someone is dying of a heart attack every 40 seconds in the U.S. Wow. So it's very prevalent. And so it is important to create awareness about heart disease and how you can prevent it or treat it. 80% of heart disease is preventable. And it's about knowing what's good healthy lifestyle, what are the risk factors, how can you take care of certain problems mm-hmm. like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, Uh, what is a healthy lifestyle? How much should you drink? What is recommended mm-hmm. by yeah. American Heart Association? So just knowing and being aware is very important. There's a lot of emphasis on cancer prevention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people know that they need to do a mammogram right. or check the PSA or prostate-specific right. antigen to screen for prostate cancer. These are the two common cancers that affect women and men respectively. So Just like cancer prevention, it's important to know how to prevent heart disease. Yeah. You know, Ramesh, when, as we were young medical students and even younger pre-med students, we used to always be, we were told that heart disease is a condition seen more in developing or, I'm sorry, developed countries, which is probably untrue even at that time. And so now you see so much heart disease In Indians and Pakistanis, our young patients, I mean, how many patients we know sure. in their 40s and 30s and, of course, <laughs> mid-50s have had heart attacks. Some of them just didn't make it. They just collapsed. And that's why I think the emphasis has to be that they seize. Some of them will say, we are pure vegetarians. Oh, we should, nothing should happen to us. You know, I don't smoke. Nothing will happen to me. But that's not necessarily true. There are so many other risk factors To be involved. Is that true? In your, in your practice, you see a lot of the desis, even at young age, are now getting cardiovascular disease needing intervention? Yes, absolutely. So I do have patients in their late 30s or early 40s who are coming with cardiovascular symptoms like chest pain, shortness of breath, 
severe fatigue with exertion and we later found out that they have cardiovascular disease like coronary artery disease mm-hmm. which means there's blockage in the heart vessel so the heart is not getting normal blood flow for its function and that is a huge risk for heart attack and congestive heart failure if somebody develops a heart attack or even cardiac arrhythmias or irregular heart rhythms that can be life threatening like ventricular tachycardia right. ventricular fibrillation so yes it is um, being seen even in young adults and a lot of uh, southeast asian population indians pakistanis bangladeshis are having cardiovascular diseases and a lot of it has to do with lifestyle so sedentary lifestyle lack of physical activity gaining weight obesity uh, poor eating habits all these contribute to poor cardiovascular health hey listen uh, you guys out there we are listening to open forum We have Dr. Jasmine Khan, who's a cardiologist in the studio. Thank you again for coming on a, on a holiday, basically, uh, especially after working. So if people want to call, any, uh, you know, call in with some question, our number out here is 1-888-749-1035. I remember my number. 1-888-749-1035. You, you did not mention smoking, so I'm just curious about uh, You know, I'm not a medical professional like the two of you. So, like a layman, I've heard smoking does have impact. What do you Absolutely. Smoking is an acquired habit. Mm-hmm. So, we're not born mm. a smoker. So, it's a habit that we acquire as we go along in life. And sometimes even secondhand smoking is uh, equally bad as firsthand smoking. So, smoking can... Uh, exacerbate or trigger atherosclerosis which is the process by which cholesterol plaque build, uh, builds up in the blood vessels and causes narrowing in those vessels that affects the blood flow to the heart so smoking is also considered a major risk factor in heart disease people talk, talk about high cholesterol what does cholesterol do to a human body where does it come from and how do we take care of it would you please uh, elaborate on that So cholesterol uh, is mainly through diet and our body can metabolize cholesterol and liver is the main organ that metabolizes cholesterol and there are certain enzymes in your liver like the PCSK9 enzyme that has been found in recent years which is very key in the metabolism of cholesterol particles and uh, of all the cholesterol particles LDL or low density lipoprotein particle is the culprit that causes a high risk for heart attack and stroke so when we look for cholesterol or dyslipidemia we are screening patients to see if they have high ldl or high triglyceride or low hdl mm-hmm. and often with high ldl the cholesterol total cholesterol level will be high so when we try to treat patients initially if they have low risk factors if they're not diabetic if they're not smokers mm-hmm. or if they don't have a family history of heart disease we suggest lifestyle change. changes. So if they can change their diet, consume low fat diet, reduce the red meat or uh, dairy products that are rich in saturated fat, mm-hmm. they might be able to lower the cholesterol with just lifestyle changes and getting regular exercise, losing weight, all these will help you lo- lower the LDL cholesterol. Sometimes if the levels are too high or if they have risk factors, they would benefit from treatment with medications in addition to lifestyle. Lifestyle changes, yeah. Um, Ramesh Bhai, I mean, you know, we all, all Desis, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, maybe not these two people out here, they <laughs> probably know. All of us have a, not a very good diet, I think, especially on Friday. This program is our Saturday, why do I have to ask you? Because on Friday, Saturday, I think our diet gets messed up. Does exercise 
some people think we can equate this. Like, ah, I'll eat some junk, but I'm going to exercise and burn it off. Is there any correlation? Oh, I'm exercising so much, so let me eat whatever I want to. What's your opinion on that? So exercise is good for your overall health, right. but exercise does not nullify the fact that you're eating bad. Mm-hmm. So when you look at cardiac risk factors, whether it's ex, uh, you know lack of exercise or high cholesterol or diabetes, these risk factors amplify each other. So it is like one plus one equals four. Oh my gosh! So it's That's not like my mathematics. <laughs> I know That's the math so, I grew up with. So <laughs> if somebody has diabetes and high cholesterol, but they exercise. They're not really lowering their risk mm-hmm. very much if the diabetes and cholesterol are not under control. Right. Because that just having those two risk factors becomes more amplified mm-hmm. even when they're still exercising. So the key is to control all the risk factors as best as possible. Right. And then, of course, we talked about smoking. We didn't talk about alcohol. As, you know, you, you hear these mixed uh, reports uh, the association will say, yeah, it's good to have one or two drinks. Some will say, no, it's bad to have even one drink. As a cardiologist, if a patient approaches you and say, hey, look, my wife is nagging me, but I'm having only one alcoholic beverage every evening. How do you approach that? Yeah, so American Heart Association recommends that uh, one drink for a man per day, or I'm sorry, one drink Uh, for a woman per day and two drinks for a man per day uh, should be okay. Okay. Now, just like I mentioned earlier, if you have multiple risk factors, they get amplified. Mm -hmm. So if you have underlying cardiovascular disease, you should probably not drink alcohol, period. Now, if you have good cardiovascular health, one drink per day for a man or two drinks the other way, yeah, yeah. the women and for men. For women, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the other way, yeah. <laughs> two yeah. for men women and one for women. And like, <laughs> we love Jasmine. She's like, give us two, get the man only one. You're, you're going to have maybe, a maybe. fan club already out there. <laughs> maybe that's a better yeah. idea. So one to two drinks should be okay. Right. Now, the the ingredient in alcohol or red wine called resveratrol is mm-hmm. what has been shown to have some benefit on heart health. Okay. But uh, if there are already cardiovascular risk factors, it's better you don't start drinking. And if you drink, you drink in moderation. Right. And people who drink too much, Ramesh, I want to say there's a condition called alcoholic cardiomyopathy. You want to tell us there are people who drink a lot. I mean, I, I somehow see them in my own office, you know, and we are not talking about some of these binge drinkers. They'll have four on a weekend and then won't touch it for the next 10 days. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the daily four to five, half a bottle Tell us about what yes. happens to the heart when yeah. they so drink so I, much. I do take care of some patients yeah, who have alcoholic cardiomyopathy, and uh, it's actually pretty common, more common than we think. Mm-hmm. So cardiomyopathy is a medical term for weakening of the heart muscle. Right. So when we look at the heart function, the main chamber is the bottom left chamber, which is called the left ventricle, where most of the muscle mass is. So if that muscle gets weak, we call that cardiomyopathy. And it can affect the other chambers too, but mainly the left ventricle. Right. So uh, sometimes frequent drinking or binge drinking can lead to weakening of the heart muscle mm-hmm. because alcohol is a cardiotoxin. Now it is random. It doesn't affect everybody who drinks heavily, just like smoking doesn't cause lung cancer in every patient. Um, so it's a random uh, occurrence that frequent drinking can cause weakening of the heart muscle and lead to cardiomyopathy. Right. And this leads to congestive heart failure, depending on how severe the cardiomyopathy is. Now, the good thing about it is that if you stop drinking, there is a very high chance that the heart muscle can recover its function. And I have 
seen my patients who have actually recovered their cardiac function very well back to normal cardiac function. They might have started off at drinking? 20%. That's they started off with 20% cardiac function. Now they're at 50% after that they stop drinking. So it's reversible if you can catch it on time. And yes, reversible and with the help of medications, there's a higher chance that their heart function will improve. Let me ask you as a layman once again, an average person, how would he or she know that they have some issue with their heart? That's a good question. So that's where the screening <coughs> comes. Um, so just like screening for cancer, the screening for cardiovascular disease. So if you have family history of heart disease, so if you have a first degree relative, your brother or your father who had a heart attack below the age of 55, or if you have a female first-degree relative, a mother or a sister, who had a heart attack below the age of 65, that's considered a positive family history. Mm-hmm. So know your family history. So if there is a strong family history of heart disease, you should see a doctor. You can see a primary care doctor, and if you need to see a cardiologist, they can refer you to a cardiologist, but you should get a cardiac screening. And that screening will involve assessment of other risk factors like diabetes, cholesterol. So those are screened through blood work. So we order blood tests to know if you have diabetes or high cholesterol or check your blood pressure. And again, blood pressure is a silent problem. So if you check your blood pressure at home and if it is high, then you know you have to see a doctor. Or uh, when you get your blood pressure checked at the doctor's office, they let you know if your blood pressure is high. So assessing for these risk factors, knowing what your family history is, should prompt you to see a doctor and get further testing or screening for cardiovascular disease. You were talking about the family history. Yeah, I'm going to. uh, This is amazing. We have a caller from Connecticut. Um, Like I said, our our listeners are all over the world. Uh, Let me get um, Mr. PJ. PJ, sir, how are you doing today? Hey, Subodh, hey, how are you doing? Fantastic. I, so I have uh, my, co- the- yeah, my co-host is Ramesh Anand, and our guest today is Dr. Jasmine Khan. PJ lives in Connecticut, and he I, I bet he has a question or a comment. Go ahead, sir. Well, first I have a light, uh, a, a very uh, light comment. I wanted to thank Dr. Khan for allowing us at least those two drinks. Uh, <laughs> I told I you, was, you're going to have a fan club right yeah, there. <laughs> I, I, I am a large man, so can I like go to three, perhaps? Three, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Check with your wife first and then call back. Please call back. I'll give you my number. <laughs> no, I just to do. Yeah. no, now for my, for my serious question. Yeah. Dr. Khan, I enjoyed your uh, speech. I'm happy to see that Subodh continues, Subodh and Ramesh, I continue to bring... Uh, Subjects, uh, very important subjects to open forum. Thanks to the internet. I live in Connecticut, but I can listen to his uh, program from time to time on my phone. Um, But my question was uh, related to uh, the prevalence of heart disease among South Asian uh, people. Uh, And there was recently a study, an ongoing study called the Masala Study. I don't know if you are familiar with that, and if you are, if you have any opinion on the findings of of that study, where they studied a large number of uh, South Asian patients over a decade or longer, I think, Mm -hmm. and they found that uh, it was indeed the case that uh, the prevalence of uh, our disease was much greater uh, for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And, and you're saying this study is called the Masala uh, study because 
Indians use a lot of masala, and that has something to do with. Uh, no, I'm serious. No, I, I mean, it, was stands, it? it stands for something. It's an acronym for one of those things. Okay. Well, I have never heard yes. of the masala study. So, um, and you know, I'm again. I will defer this to Dr. Khan if she wants to take on this. Uh, please go ahead. Uh, thank you for your question, uh, PJ. I'm really impressed that you're calling from Connecticut. Uh, so, masala study mm-hmm. is. Um, called the Mediators of Atherosclerosis in South Asians Living in America. So it's actually looking at risk factors that lead to a higher prevalence of heart disease in the South Asians who are living or residing in the U.S. So it is a longitudinal study. It is actually uh, looking at risk factors like dietary risk factors, uh, smoking, and high cholesterol. And it's showing that this is actually a very prevalent problem in the South Asians. And because of the higher incidence of risk factors, they're seeing a higher incidence of uh, cardiovascular disease or heart disease. And the main goal of the study is to actually identify what factors lead to heart disease so we can help the South Asian community. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of emphasis Mm -hmm. on those factors like diabetes, high blood pressure, and smoking. Okay, so what you've said is uh, there's nothing different than what we already know. I mean, I, I think the the fact that, that maybe they're talk, talking about a fact that maybe because of our lifestyle and risk factors, it's more prevalent. Is that what they're trying to tell us? I mean, what's what is new in the study? I, 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 I fail so, to understand. So it's actually showing that there is a high prevalence of heart disease and high prevalence of death okay. uh, due to heart disease in the South Asian community. Gotcha. So it is making the South Asian community more aware yeah. of risk factors and laying emphasis on those risk factors that can be prevented Prevent. or treated. Gotcha. And uh, uh, PJ, as you know, I mean, you know, we Desis have relatives all over the world. Have you noticed that our Desis living all over the world, do they have a higher prevalence of uh, heart disease than Desis living back home is or is there any have you noticed anything like that so generally speaking a south asian population has a higher risk for heart disease because of genetic predisposition okay uh, it's not mainly because of uh, environmental okay. or lack of physical activity there's a large genetic predisposition to heart disease okay. and when you add risk factors to that genetic predisposition then everything is amplified all right. So I mean, I think also I read a sub-article on that study where uh, you alluded to this earlier, um, and a uh, lot of the vegetarians in India have a uh, notion that uh, because they are vegetarian and they do not consume uh, animal by animal products, mm-hmm. uh, they are less at risk, which is apparently not true. Which is a which is amazing because our second show that we're going to be doing at five p.m. we're going to be talking to a, a lady by the name of Dolly Ahuja, and she has become a vegan, and she's going to talk more and more about uh, veganism. That's the word. And uh, so I want y'all all to stay tuned after five. Also, just because Dr. Khan leaves, don't doesn't mean y'all also leave. Okay, <laughs> stay tuned because that also is going to be a great show. Uh, she's going to talk about. Um, you know, and she actually just released a film. Land of, it's called Land of Ahimsa. Land of Ahimsa. It released just a couple of days ago. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it just came out uh, yeah. a couple of days ago. But let's not take Dr. Yes. Khan's time from that one. I just want to throw that out at yeah. 5 o'clock. Yeah. We're going to continue our show and talk about that also. You know, we also wanted to talk about um, 
sleep apnea and heart disease. A lot of folks, uh, I, I, PJ, I'm, I'm, I'm not po- pointing fingers at you, my friend. You just said you're a big guy. And, and, and uh, yes, I, I, have the, I have both conditions. You name it, I have the condition. Can you just tell us what conditions you don't have, then we will not talk about that. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, okay? <laughs> The the fact that we have, uh, uh, keep listening because you may have some interesting question. The fact that a lot of people do have sleep apnea. First, you know, tell us what is sleep apnea and how does it then affect heart disease and how can that be prevented or treated? Sleep apnea is actually a very common prevalent problem. It goes undiagnosed a lot of times. Um, and those who have severe sleep apnea actually have a 20-fold increased risk for cardiovascular. 20. 24. Oh my Lord. Okay. So that includes heart attack, mm-hmm. stroke. We often see patients with uncontrolled hypertension who mm. are on three or more medications right. and they might have underlying sleep apnea. And the most common cause for sleep apnea is obstructive sleep apnea. So there is an obstruction in the airway when they sleep because of the relaxation of the muscles in the airways and that causes uh, apnea, which is where you stop breathing, mm-hmm. or hypopnea, where your breathing gets really shallow. Right. So how does the person know? Because the person is sleeping. Tell me about the spouse who's sleeping next to this person. Who can diagnose that? Who can goad this person to go and check, get it checked out by the primary first and then wherever they need to go? Yes, absolutely. Emphasis so, is always on primary care, preventive care. We've got to make sure people understand that. Absolutely. Not because it's good for my business, but it's good for everyone's health, basically, yes, yes. because... I see patients in my own practice, they may have gone to a cardiologist 20 times, but they forgot there are other things to do also, you know, and we'll talk about that another time. But tell us about this. Um, how, how does a spouse who's a, or a sleeping bed partner realize that my partner has sleep apnea? And he, after listening to you, definitely they need to be checked out. Yes. So sleep apnea can cause symptoms like snoring. And often that is reported by the spouse or significant other, whoever has noticed, or even children who notice their parents snore when they sleep. And even the patients can allude to some symptoms of sleep apnea. They might have daytime sleepiness. They feel very tired or fatigued during the day. And that makes them fall asleep very easily. You can wake up in the morning feeling like you did not get a good quality Mm -hmm. sleep. You're not refreshed. Sometimes uh, having morning headaches or fatigue, uh, generalized fatigue throughout the day. These Mm -hmm. are all common symptoms of sleep apnea. Right. And a lot of times people refuse to get it tested or to wear a CPAP. I'm going to ask PJ because PJ said he wears a CPAP machine. PJ, you told us that you wear a CPAP machine. Is that true at night? PJ is going to wear his machine, I think. PJ, can you hear me still? Maybe put us on hold. So, a l- lot of the resistance that I get, Ramesh, is that uh, we don't want to wear uh, that machine. Oh, there you are. <laughs> no, yeah. s- sorry, I'm here. I'm here. Sorry yeah. about that. That's okay. Um, <clears throat> I, do, I do use a CPAP machine. Unfortunately, not every day. Uh, I'm sure Khan is going to tell me to mm-hmm. use it every day. There are days when uh, I feel that I can sleep well without any problem, and I do. I have to sleep on my side. Right to prevent the obstruction to happen. Um, I I was wondering if Dr. Khan could comment on this new product called Inspire, uh, which I am looking into right now. Okay. Where you don't have... Yeah, so that's also a good question, uh, PJ. So sleep apnea is usually treated initially with a CPAP machine. It is a continuous positive airway pressure 
device that delivers positive pressure to keep your airway open. And uh, some patients, they are either uh, not getting the benefit of CPAP or they have failed CPAP and they're still having apnea spells uh, based on the sleep study, they can qualify for Inspire. Inspire is an implantable device. It's usually done by ENT surgeons. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a few in the Houston area who do that yes. as well. So We actually it, interviewed one right here. It yeah. looks like a pacemaker. In fact, the, the generator looks just like a pacemaker and it is implanted subcutaneously below the skin, right uh, below the right clavicle or the shoulder bone. And uh, there is a nerve stimulator which goes to the hypoglossal nerve, which stimulates the tongue when you're sleeping so that the tongue doesn't fall back into the back of your mouth. Right. So that helps keep the airway open and help with the breathing in those who have sleep apnea issues. Right. And, and you know, we interviewed Dr. Manish Wani out here, who's an ENT surgeon, Katie, and Dr. Umang Khetrapal, who's also an ENT surgeon, but he's in this side of town. And I've talked to both of them about that when the device just came out. Uh, now it's been about 18 months maybe more than that, and people have more experience and have had really good results. So, PJ, I think it's worth talking to your ENT physician and maybe get some testimonials from other patients who may have used it before you go and embark on that. It's a surgical procedure, but it's not, it's not a life-threatening surgical procedure. Apparently, it's a pretty easy a procedure ENT guys do. Is that true? Yes, uh, it is a procedure. So it's like a procedure. any procedure, there are some potential, helps, yeah. there are some potential risks. So the, it's not considered first line. So first line is always non-invasive. So patients have to fail CPAP or they have to have a body mass index mm -hmm. of less than 35 to qualify for Inspire. And uh, there is good data on Inspire. Uh, I have personally talked to ENT surgeons who do that uh, procedure, and uh, yeah. most of most of their patients have done really well. I do see a lot of patients with sleep apnea, and I yeah. order sleep study on a lot of my patients. So I'm uh, pretty comfortable uh, talking about the Inspired device, but ENT surgeons would be the experts to give more information. But like any procedure, there are some potential risks right. uh, of bleeding, infection, and so forth. Folks, you're listening to Open Forum. We have. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Thank, thank you, You're sir. Welcome. We have uh, Doctor Jasmine Khan, uh, who's a cardiologist, practices in the Woodlands area and in Sugarland area. She's here. Uh, she's a guest today. Ramesh Anand is my co-host. Mir is Mir Khan is the cameraman here today. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Oh, you, yeah. Thank you. How are you doing today? <laughs> He's got this camera going. Um, so we're going to ask a few more questions. Um, uh, Ramesh, you want to ask something first, I know. As a patient. Yes, I knew that is going to come out because Ramesh Anand yeah. himself. Uh, Ramesh, tell us your experience. It's a very unique experience I had. Uh, I, I, run, I started running at the age of 62. I'm 68 now. At the age of 62, 63, my wife and I started running marathons. So we've run over 25 half marathons in the last wow. six years. So and I play racquetball. I used to play two, three hours at a stretch. And uh, while I ran marathons about three years ago, I found that I was getting tired. And uh, so I went and got checkup done. That just a routine. He, me, he said, you know what? It's just probably breathing. So he gave me one of those asthmatic things. Maybe you want to check that out. But on my own accord, I, I still was not convinced. So I walked into a cardiologist and said, I want to check out. And uh, he said, they did this, whatever, test. And mm -hmm. he said, tomorrow you're going to the hospital. And they found I had... I think he did a nuclear stress test on yeah, you? Nuclear yeah, nuclear stress yeah. test. And then they said that I've got a 
when when they did the uh, thing they found i had a 99% and one blockage of 95% a week prior to that i also do the ms150 mm-hmm. so uh, i did in 35 miles just a week prior to that and he said so they immediately put one stent and then two weeks later put another stent and just a, and the reason i'm sharing this is very amusing that i was exercising aggressively and uh, in spite of that luckily i went and then of course i asked my cardiologist uh, he said any questions i said yeah he said kevin do you start running i said no, i have a new bike when do i start biking <laughs> he said wait for wait for one month you can get back to your normal life mm-hmm. and uh, i really got back to my normal life in fact yesterday one year yesterday i did my first full marathon which was a boston marathon last year wow look at that story so and, and there is that's why i'm just sharing with you because uh, and i came on the show i would share it not to say what i achieved because to tell people that a get yourself tested if you find something wrong i was mm-hmm. fortunate and b because you got a stent does does not bring an end to your life but it's just a beginning of your life it was what was your right. only symptom you said shortness of breath shortness of breath i mean yeah. i would run and i would so find i had I, so i had so you were you were 50 something that time right 65. at that time 65 at that time okay yeah. so 3 years ago so i had a patient 64. in my practice 38 39 years old um a south indian gentleman who used to run marathons and he is a but now see the risk factors he had diabetes and dyslipidemia cholesterol was high and we would you know we had him under fairly good control the best he could mm-hmm. given the circumstances but he would always run a marathon and he was practicing for one and one day he came to my office and said you know what two weeks ago i could run x amount this time i could not i had to stop and i didn't have chest pain but i just felt weird i said there's something up because you're a diabetic so we got him uh, you know on a treadmill next morning he had <laughs> he had stents placed all over his heart and he's back to running and all that so what i think what ramesh was emphasizing that minor symptoms sometimes can lead to major diagnoses don't um, ignore them yeah. go you know go have your checkup done and 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 take it from there what do you say do- uh, dr khan yes yes ramesh uh, actually that's actually an amazing exper- experience you had and uh, we're fortunate that you sought medical care and you took care of your health and now you're here with all of us so one thing i tell all my patients and i tell my family is that you have to listen to your body because yeah. you know your body the best when you know something is not right you need to get help whether it's physical health or mental health or any aspect of health Sometimes cardiovascular symptoms can be very vague or non-specific. So not everybody with a blockage in the heart vessel would have chest pain or angina. Some patients might have shortness of breath with exertion or fatigue or even sometimes irregular heartbeats. Mm-hmm. So just the absence of chest pain should not make you believe that you don't have underlying heart problems. And if you are above a certain age we do cardiac screening with calcium scoring CT to determine if you are at high risk for developing blockages or heart attack so we can screen the patients after a certain age as well but symptoms should lead you to further workup so if you've had symptoms like fatigue or shortness of breath it's important to rule out that it is not coming due to a heart problem and the most common cause for heart disease is coronary artery disease where one would develop blockage in the heart vessels now that blockage could have been sitting there for many many years and what we call a stable atherosclerotic plaque so the plaque has a cap 
the cholesterol plaque has a cap and if that cap is stable and if it doesn't cause any significant narrowing in the blood vessel you might be fairly asymptomatic but if the cap ruptures it can acutely cause symptoms as it triggers an inflammatory reaction and causes thrombus or clot formation and that can lead to even a sudden heart attack or cardiac death so the mechanism of heart attack can vary from person to person stable coronary artery disease is by far the most common cause and it takes years to see that plaque kind of gradually build up mm-hmm. to a point where it narrows the vessel 70% or more where one would need a stent but even a small plaque can suddenly become unstable right. and cause a heart attack right it can break yes that's what you're saying let's take a next caller out here hey welcome to open forum and thanks for calling in uh, just for other folks our number is 1 888 749 1035 We are talking to a cardiologist, Dr. Jasmine Khan. Sir, please go ahead with your question. Hi, question about blood pressure. I hear, you know, used to hear normal like 120, 80. Uh, then I hear for older uh, people like 70s, 140, 85 is okay. Uh, kind of confused. Uh, can you please uh, comment on this? You know, what is the really true blood pressure? Things keep changing. Uh, yeah, you're right. Be concerned. Yes, absolutely. So uh, high blood pressure is a leading cause women. leading cause for heart disease. For so it is Yes. So across the board for both men and women, the current guidelines uh, recommend that any blood pressure below 120 over 80 is considered normal. And if the blood pressure is between 120 and 129 for the top number, which is systolic, it's labeled as elevated blood pressure. If it is 130 to 139 that is stage 1 hypertension and 140 and above is stage 2 hypertension so that's for the systolic numbers or the top numbers for the bottom numbers elevated blood pressure would be 80 to 89 so that is elevated uh, actually 80 to 89 is stage 1 and 90 and above is stage 2 so if you have blood pressure that is between 130 to 139 systolic or 80 to 89 diastolic that is stage 1 hypertension for both men and women and if the blood pressure is 140 or above or 90 or above for the bottom number that's stage 2 hypertension now it is important to check your blood pressure because blood pressure is a silent killer or hypertension is a silent killer so unless you check your blood pressure you wouldn't know whether your blood pressure is high or not because it doesn't cause symptoms it can lead to symptoms of heart attack or stroke so it's important to kind of know where your blood pressure lies and that's why we recommend that you see a doctor at least once a year If you're in stage 1 hypertension it is important that you try to control it with lifestyle modifications the first approach is to focus on lifestyle changes so look at the diet if you're consuming a lot of sodium or salt in your diet you try to minimize the salt intake an average american is consuming more than 2400 mg of sodium so your daily intake of sodium should be minimized because as we get older our body gets more and more sensitive to sodium so that's number 1 number 2 would be to cut down on um caffeine intake or stimulants like alcohol that can raise your blood pressure so excessive alcohol excessive caffeine intake smoking all these can also raise your blood pressure if you have underlying sleep apnea treat the sleep apnea because that also drives your blood pressure to go up so lifestyle modifications or controlling other risk factors that lead to high blood pressure is important in stage 1 hypertension if the blood pressure is not under control or if you have stage 2 hypertension then we start implementing medications and 
you have to try to continue changing your lifestyle so that it can be a combination of both medication and lifestyle to help you with the blood pressure. And as you mentioned earlier, sleep apnea should not be ignored. You were, you were talking about that. Absolutely. So sleep apnea is considered a secondary cause for hypertension. So when we see most patients with hypertension, it is primary or essential hypertension. Mm-hmm. So we don't see a secondary cause or something that is causing the blood pressure to go up. But sleep apnea is a very common problem. So if you have signs and symptoms of sleep apnea or if you have a body mass index that is over 30, which is considered obesity, and a lot of patients with obesity do have sleep apnea, it is good to get a sleep study and be evaluated for sleep apnea. Because if you treat sleep apnea, your blood pressure can get better. Or you might even need less medication when you treat sleep apnea. And, you know, talking about obesity, I think this may be a good time to segue into how can we help people reduce the fat in the body. I mean, you know, I have so many people who will tell me, look, I'm running, I'm doing exercise, I'm doing everything doc you're telling me, but look at this. I'm I'm still in the middle in the, you know the trunkal obesity the apple shape uh, stomach as we call it how do we take care of that and do you all in cardiology do you all have some devices or something that we can help with Absolutely so again since I mentioned lifestyle there's no substitute for a good heart healthy lifestyle so good exercise good dietary habits will not replace anything else mm-hmm. but in addition to that sometimes some patients have stubborn fat they've been exercising they've been changing their diet but they have stubborn areas where they're unable to lose fat and that's where we come with certain devices like mm-hmm. ultra slim it's the most effective device for instant fat loss and it's a very safe non-invasive way of losing fat and it's also FDA approved for instant fat mm-hmm. loss And as a cardiologist I'm a certified provider for Ultra Slim and we offer that as an option for patients who want to lose fat in addition to changing lifestyle with exercise and dietary changes. So I mean when you say instant loss of fat what are we talking about? I mean I I you, you tell us some you know actual numbers how do you assess that yeah you know someone says Subodh Butcher comes to you and he says I've got this you know excessive fat in the belly area how does the boat when he leaves say yeah i feel lighter i mean is that something that yes, people tell you yes absolutely so it's uh, fda approved for instant fat loss as compared to some other devices that will help you lose fat but it takes several weeks or mm-hmm. months so the beauty of ultra slim is that it is completely non invasive it uses a specific patented light treatment uh, a red light treatment mm-hmm. to target the fat cells so the treated fat cells they create temporary openings or pores that helps release the fat content from those fat cells gotcha. as called lipolysis mm-hmm. so that fat is released from this fat cell the fat cell will shrink and then by the normal bodily function this excess fat is excreted from the body oh wow so it helps patient lose fat <coughs> even with one treatment so average patient loses anywhere from 2 to 3 and a half inches combined from their waist hips and thighs after one treatment wait a minute that means you got to get two pairs of pants you wear one and wear the second the one when one. you're leaving you the gadbad hai bhai ye kya karega no anyway but in all seriousness that is amazing uh, is it is it sustaining or does it come back again if you mess around again with you go you go there and then you go to hillcroft and have chole puri kya hone wala hai uska so once you flush it off yeah. in the toilet it doesn't come back <laughs> it doesn't come back <laughs> how many sessions does one need does it is it based on the patient or is it based on some other devices on 
some you know calculations what do you all do so every patient's treatment uh, plan is customized so we do recommend minimum six treatments mm-hmm. uh, in a session so one a uh, session per week so six treatments across six weeks right. is what we recommend now based on the desired area which is most of the times it's around the waist that's the targeted area we do one treatment which is usually 32 minutes 8 minutes in the front 8 minutes on the left side 8 minutes on the left uh, right side and 8 minutes in the back so 32 okay. minutes per treatment and with each treatment we guarantee at least 2 inch Uh, fat loss combined from the waist hips and thighs look at that i'm doing oh, overtime to just go I, get something I, like that if i can that. again a lemma question i do want I, i do before the question Please. i do want you to give out your phone number because i don't want people <coughs> calling me say hey bhai humko sign up kar do no i want you to give us a number so people can talk to you in your clinic and which <coughs> clinic do you do it in uh, woodlands or sugarland. sugarland or where do you do it So Ultraslim is provided through both the locations okay. in the Woodlands and at Sugarland. Mm-hmm. And the office number is 28160653556655 and it's a 281 and that connects you to either one. Yes. And then you can get them uh, and and uh, is there a long period of wait? I mean you just said that it takes 2 months to get a cardiologist. Does it take that long to get a slim uh, Ultraslim treatment or can you do it pretty fast? Do you all do it on Saturdays? I mean, these are the questions people will ask me when I finish the show. Don't call me, please. So we do give uh, appointments at the earliest available. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> it depends on the demand too. So we have openings. We schedule them as soon as possible. Most of the times, we are able to schedule in a week or two. Even for cardiology patients, new patients can get their appointment mostly in a week or two. and sometimes even sooner depending on the reason for the consultation so if somebody is having chest pain or palpitations we don't want to wait too long so we do accommodate those patients and try to give them an appointment as soon as possible yeah uh for the ultra slim thing ultra slim ultra slim right ultra slim yes. okay <laughs> but so the the is it typically covered by insurance or is that not something that is covered by insurance it is not covered by insurance fair enough it's better for a individual to know so they know and what, you know i think she made a yeah, very on. good point earlier when we were talking uh, we talked about fat loss versus weight loss you want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit so ultra slim targets the fat cells these are adipocytes of mm-hmm. fat cells so you have subcutaneous fat which sits right beneath the skin and then you have visceral fat that sits around your organs so this light therapy helps get rid of the subcutaneous fat and also targets visceral fat after it targets the subcutaneous fat so as a patient loses fat it also helps with the weight loss mm-hmm. so i've had patients who've lost 20 pounds after 12 ultra slim treatments mm-hmm. so again it varies from person to person it can be used for any skin type any body type so it doesn't matter uh, any patient any male or female patient can do the ultra slim treatment the results will vary from person to person but we do guarantee at least 2 inches of fat so, loss so do you see uh, other medical diagnoses getting better as yeah. we talked about you know you lose weight your insulin uh, resistance changes your sleep apnea may change your blood pressure may come down do you see any of those changes yes so there are several studies that have looked at the impact of weight loss so weight loss does help with reducing risk factors like diabetes blood pressure even cholesterol there was a trial done with ultra slim that showed improvement in the triglyceride levels after the fat loss treatment mm-hmm. so there are trials and they're showing very good efficacy in the fact that they can reduce the fat content 
and it has been also proven to be free of any side effect or adverse effect so if a person has any health condition that should not be an issue most patients qualify for ultra slim now the trials were not done on patients with cancer so we don't recommend patients with cancer sure. get these type of treatments or if you're planning to get pregnant because the trials were not done in patients mm-hmm. who are planning Absolutely. to get pregnant or even pregnant patients yeah. so we don't um cater to those patients but they they can still qualify if they've been cancer free for more than a year or if uh they confirm that they are not pregnant they would be eligible for the treatment do you all do any pre treatment uh, x-rays or ultrasounds or anything to see the depth of the fatty tissue or you don't really need to it's a clinical thing visual clinical no we don't do uh, those type of assessments but we do have a questionnaire to screen patients mm-hmm. and to know if they have any medical condition or if they are on medications that can increase photosensitivity okay so some patients like for example lupus patients might have photosensitivity and sometimes we do see some of those patients react a little bit more mm-hmm. after getting a red light treatment so we do warn them that they might have some photosensitivity after the treatment so in the area in the area okay. in the targeted area so we can screen them and make them more aware of what might happen and some patients have not had those side effects but this, these are certain um pointers to keep in mind so that we can screen the patients and let them know that these conditions might put them at a slightly higher risk but the trials that ultra slim has performed so far have not shown any side effects some um, i know we have about 7 minutes left time flies really quickly as i told you earlier it's going to go like this you're going to say when do i come back again we will get you back when do i come back <laughs> <laughs> i had a feeling you're going to ask me before the show is over but we will get you back next early next year uh, a couple of things that i, I want to do uh, bring to our attention is people who have palpitation you know can you tell us how do you as a cardiologist work them up what are you looking for and how do you take care of those things? because a lot of uh, in, in primary care we see a lot of people palpitation and then you're like you know we do our stuff then we pass them on to y'all where what do y'all where do you fit in there yeah. the palpitation is a subjective uh, way of describing what you feel it could be that your heart rate is irregular heartbeat is irregular so if you feel some irregular heartbeats that could be described as palpitation mm-hmm. sometimes tachycardia or elevation in your heart rate might be described as palpitation so palpitation doesn't really point to what's going on with your heart rate or heart rhythm it could be normal rhythm with an elevated heart rate or it could be an irregular rhythm without an elevation in heart rate so palpitation is a subjective symptom so if somebody has palpitation that could be a sign or symptom of arrhythmia so it definitely requires further investigation if you see a primary care doctor they might do an ecg to initially evaluate your heart rhythm and your heart rate mm-hmm. if your ecg is abnormal that would prompt a referral to a cardiologist for further workup and further workup is usually done with a holter monitor which is an external heart monitor it records your heart rhythm and heartbeat and tells you if you have abnormal rhythms fantastic well i mean that you know that sums it all for uh, you know cardiology is such a big topic i mean there's so many things i could, i wanted to ask you but we're going to let that come in the next session that we do with you uh, it's it's amazing that you do the ultra slim thing to you know reduce the fat content um, and that i think something uh, a lot of our listeners may want to look into give us that telephone number one more time the telephone number is 281606 5355 Fantastic. So, yeah, the, yeah, we, we have 3 more minutes. <clears throat> yeah, the ultra slim. So, let's assume a patient comes to your day 1. So, would that person 
go for the treatment that day one or is there a follow up and then how often does it every month or uh, most of the times we do accommodate patients we schedule them for a one hour window so if they're coming for their first ultra slim treatment we go over the questionnaire we answer all their questions and concerns we take measurements uh, patients who are willing to be uh, taken uh, for photography we take photos of before and after treatment so that takes a little bit more time during the first session so we usually are able to accommodate patients with the treatment session during the first appointment and we recommend doing one treatment per week for the first six treatments so like subodh said they come with a spare trouser the very first time they can <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, i mean in reality if that's what's going to happen that, that's going to be amazing uh, we really enjoyed talking to you uh, dr khan uh, i know you have a couple of clinics where people can obviously you know look you up and get a consultation um please give us the number one more time and then we will uh, i know you got you guys are busy i want to thank your husband meer Thank you sir for coming today. I mean you're a good man. You're you know millions of people well I don't know if millions but thousands of people are listening out there. You got to be a good man to have a good wife hanging around with you. And I see another couple out here in the studio and and I see look at that. I mean it's a husband and wife team. I I just love it. Uh give us your number one more time. Yes. The Woodlands Heart and Vascular Center in the Sugarland Heart and Vascular Center. The number is 281-606-5355. Fantastic. We're going to take a very short break out here and then we're going to come back uh second segment of open forum uh, today.